1069 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Good afternoon, everybody. Eric France and Ajay Salveson on a, what is it, Tuesday? Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. Uh, AJ Knight also sitting in with us today. Uh, it's got a full full schedule for you. A lot of different things we want to get through. Utah Jazz Game 7 tonight. Everything on the line for the Nuggets and the Jazz. We'll always, on Tuesdays, share with you our uh, stat that blew our minds and our player of the week. A lot of activity in baseball yesterday. A lot of activity. Who got better? Who whiffed? Uh, who hit home runs? And, um, yeah, who would you put in an all-star? If there were an all-star game. Jeez. Who would you put in an all-star game right now? Oh, God. For Major League Baseball. There won't be one this year, but maybe we'll dabble into that a little bit. Uh, Big Ten, are they moving closer to actually having a fall football season? So a lot of different things we'll, we'll kind of get into. Um, and, uh, we'll hear from Quinn Snyder. We'll hear from Joe Ingles. We'll hear from Mike Connolly as Jazz are preparing for Game 7. Uh, next hour, we'll be talking to Dan Clayton. He's a great uh, uh, analyst for the Utah Jazz. Oh, he's Salt so City good. Hoops. Had uh, many great conversations with him. And uh, he's been doing a lot of great uh, work breaking down different uh, plays, different stats, to give us an idea of what is and what isn't working in this playoff series for the Jazz against the Denver Nuggets. So stay tuned for that coming up next hour. Um, but... Uh, Guys, let's start with this. We'll get into a lot of, of the jazz next hour as well, but Ajay, we only get you for a little bit today. You're going to have to uh, break loose and go do your own thing. You're In the middle of the Game 7, that's wonderful. When uh, <laughs> no one else is going to be paying attention to what it is that you're a whole doing. Bunch. Uh, but uh, this this is this is huge. Uh, jazz are 9-0 and in series when they lead 3-1. to you stat that blew your mind, really? Uh, it's not my stat that blew my mind, but it That's is impressive. Uh, can they hold on to that? Denver is not done well when they've been down one and three historically, uh, but it feels like this game tonight has a very different feel than games five and six potentially could have for Utah. You know what's crazy about this is when you look at a game seven, you look at the atmosphere, right? Like whether it's at Seattle back when the Supersonics were playing or when you're playing. In fact, that's what today, earlier this morning, watching highlights of the Clippers and Jazz game seven from 2015. Is that when they played game seven? And uh, it was a 4-5 matchup. Joe Johnson had hit the game winner in game one. I'm going to a game seven because uh, the Jazz lost game six and everyone thought the Jazz were toast. Because they had the one chance to close it out. Instead, they got to go back to L.A. And Boris Diaw was huge. Joe Johnson was great. Uh, but, of course, Gordon Hayward was Gordon Hayward. Uh, and Jazz Gather with a Game 7 win. Just with these Game 7s, always expect the unexpected. You have no idea what's going to happen. Jamal Murray could go off for 50. Or as A.J. was predicting, Donovan Mitchell could hit 63. I mean, you just <laughs> don't know what you're going to get tonight. And I think that's what scares me most. You mentioned that wonderful stat, Eric. Mike Conley's 0-3 in Game 7s. He's never won a Game 7. The Utah Jazz have not been, uh, or excuse me, have not lost a Game 7 since 1996 in the Western Conference Finals when they faced the Seattle Supersonics in Seattle. So, I mean, there's just all these numbers that come into play, and it just plays with your mind. It's all mind games 
What the Jazz need to do tonight is just treat it like any other game, which is really what it is, in an open forum scrimmage in Florida where there's virtual fans and there's eight people of media sitting there watching the game. That's what it is. and There will be more people at this game than there have been because you can have family members in the bubble now. So uh, some of them Wait, have arrived. Wait, can we watch the first round too, though? There are some that are there. Really? have been watching games and attending the games. The NBA issued some strict guidelines about not interacting with the refs, <laughs> not interacting with the players or the coaches. Uh, but uh, they can be there as long as they behave. So, so there have been family members starting to show up to these games. Okay, so we're talking about maybe 20 to 23 people, but, sure, give or take. Still, it's a very small crowd. But, you, but you're right. But again, it's like it's different. In fact, someone was talking about shooting percentages, that some shooters – who are not good shooters at all when it would come to like a road game in a hostile environment, now are playing in an open oh, like an open gym, if you will, yeah. knocking down threes left and right all of a sudden. It's because there's no pressure of being squatted at by all these other fans saying, hey, you suck, hey, you still can't shoot, you just so on and so forth. Um, and, whether, you know, and whether that still rings true tonight, I just don't feel like Game 7 – is a game seven in this kind of environment, but I'm still absolutely terrified. I, um, in, in fact, Mitch Henline tweeted out about maybe a half hour ago. He said something really good. It's either going to be an all-time classic or an all-time heartbreak for Utah Jazz. Either you beat a three-seeded squad loaded with talent, experienced like no other in regards to game sevens, or you have heartbreak where you're up three games to one in this series and you let it slip by the sideway and your season comes to an end, and then all of a sudden there's questions of who's going and who's staying. Okay, so AJ, let me ask you, which is more surprising, Utah and Denver in a Game 7 or Houston-Oklahoma City in a Game 7? Oh, good oh, question. Boy. Wow. <laughs> uh, probably, to me, Denver and Utah because I – or excuse me, more surprising. So, yeah, Denver and Utah because I thought that OKC, especially when uh, Harden went – or uh, Westbrook went out for Houston – I thought that was much more evenly matched up to begin with. Um, this one, I thought that it was going to be figured out pretty quick because I think even you two would admit as hardcore Jazz fans, man, they limped into this one. Yeah. And uh, and then they go up 3-1, and I told Aj we were just talking before we got on here, I thought they were going to close out in five because Denver looked dead in the water. And then all of a sudden, Jamal Murray apparently was like, oh, right, we're playing now. Okay, I got it. And then went bonkers. So I say that one. I thought for sure that one was a five, maybe six game series. Okay. What about you, AJ? Uh, no, I, I'm with him. I mean, I thought, you know, look, Russell Westbrook, even if he was out, it was still going to be Chris Paul and a bunch of rookies versus James Harden and a loaded Rockets team. Um, and I still thought, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a battle, but I still take Harden anytime, any day. This is a 3 6 matchup with Bojan Bajanovic, the second best scorer on this team behind Donovan Mitchell, and he's out. And sure, they have Will Barton and whatever Harris. He was out for a little bit, but he's not even 100%. And we're still going to a Game 7. I think if anybody would have took and like two weeks ago and said, hey, you're going to get Denver in a first-round series. That's the good news, that you wanted them because you tanked for it. The bad news, you're going to have a 3-1 series lead and you have to go to a Game 7. I think still Jazz fans would have took that in a heartbeat, knowing that they get a Game 7 with Denver in a neutral environment. Tell you what, if you only told me it was 3-1 and that we had to go to 7, I would have hold my breath because, like, who got hurt? All right, who, yeah, who got hurt? Yeah. How do we get 3-1 yeah. yeah. and then blow the next three? Or next two, excuse me. Eric, has your confidence in Denver and Utah, or at least for Utah, has your confidence wavered at all in the past 24 hours, knowing that we were in a Game 7 versus Denver? Sure it has. Um, just that 
the way that games two and three especially played out felt man, Jazz have figured this thing out. Yeah. Uh, they're playing great. They're good, doing well on defense. Denver's not playing any defense. Uh, Jazz will be able to wrap this thing up in five or maybe six. I didn't expect it to be a game seven. And the way that they've they've played out, the Jazz just look like they're a frustrated team offensively in the last two games. It looks like Denver has figured something out defensively that the Jazz have not been able to solve. And then conversely, the Jazz have not been able to figure out how to defend Jamal Murray. And I think that's a real problem. Um, and so that's got me really nervous. Let me ask. There's the Mike Connolly has been good. He's been steady for to help Donovan Mitchell. But beyond that, it's been really kind of a hit and miss. Like who's that third real legitimate offensive option yeah. for Utah? Let me ask you too this question as well. If they lose Game Seven tonight, which game's going to come come back to haunt the Jazz the most? Jazz Nation, Jazz players. Is it going to be Game Five or Game Six that they lost? That's going to kill you the most. Game One. Game one, they went into overtime and then they couldn't figure it out. And Jamal Murray did what he didn't and has done in the last few games. They could have ended this in a sweep. They had game one. It's true. Does uh, game one have a bigger impact? Though? I mean, game five. I'd probably say we're up by fifteen. Yeah, I'd probably say game five, just because it was a potential closeout game. They had them on the ropes, a fifteen point lead in the second half, and they just were too lackadaisical when they knew they could have clamp down and shut it down and be done. And do you remember Mike Malone in that timeout? I think with about eight and a half minutes left, you brought this up the day after, in fact. Mike Malone went to his bench and said, give me one more run. Just cut it down to this here in the next two minutes, just two minutes at a time. Give me one more good run. And then all of a sudden, that thing was cut down to two, and Denver had all the momentum in the world, and you knew as a Jazz fan, this thing's going south really quickly. And I think that's what Mike Malone did. He got his guys because, I mean, it was just one more run. If he didn't get it out of him, it was over. But give me one more good last run at this, and let's see what we can do. All of a sudden, we're in a game seven now. That's incredible to me. Eight minutes, that still stands out to me. Eight and a half minutes left in game five, up by 12 at this point because Jamal Murray had it three. Coach Quinn calls a timeout, and that's when Mike Malone told him. That's just, that's amazing to me. Here's a question for you. Which team has more pressure on them? The Jazz because they were up 3-1 or Denver because the Jazz are the sixth seed and losing, obviously, one of their better players because Bogdanovic didn't make the trip to the bubble and the Nuggets are supposed to win. Everybody thought early on they were a threat to at least get to the Western Conference Finals. Who's got more pressure to win Game 7? Ooh, that's a great question. I, I think that uh, I think Utah is probably feeling more pressure because they've had two games already to close this thing out. Yeah. Uh, Denver, I mean, based on their comments yesterday, they're feeling very relaxed. They've been in Game Sevens the last few seasons. Uh, they know what it's like to be there, um, it, but it doesn't feel like they're the number three team that's you know should be advancing. I mean, Utah's been the better team in the series, but I don't know. That's a good question. I would think that maybe Utah's feeling a little more. Pressure. I'm with you 100. percent You were up three games to one and had a chance to close this out. Now, people are going to say, well, yeah, well, Denver's is three seed. The Jazz tanked to the sixth place to get the Denver Nuggets. They purposely wanted True. to lose these games to get to Denver because they wanted Denver more than Houston. And now they're uh, and then they're up 3-1, and this thing should be over. Instead, we're going to a game seven. Jamal Murray is cooking, and, and they've got guys, as Eric mentioned yesterday, they got guys contributing from everywhere. Jeremy Grant, MP Jr. Harris has been good defensively in his first game back in six months. Um, and, uh, and I mean, look, this Jazz team has not been productive since game three. 
honestly, has not been the productive offense we've seen since Game 3. It is night and day between Games 3 and Game 6, what we saw from the Jazz offensively and defensively. Game, um, game 4, they put up 129 points. Yeah. But, I mean, I think, like, just – how do I say it, though? I mean, what I mean, ga- Game 3, they won by, like, what, 30-something or whatever? They were up by 40, right? Back-to-back, back, right? And, and, and I think, I mean, Jamal Murray and those guys walking off that court said, what in the crap is going on? Like, they were – I mean, and as you, like you said, dead in the water because yeah. that's really what they were. <laughs> was it 3 and 4? They, what, combined to beat them by 60 points, 65? They yeah, Game them. 2 was 124 to 105. Game 3, 124 to 87. Jeez. Oh, so it was game four. Sorry. My and then game then. four was 129-127 for Utah. Mm. It really wasn't but how quite did... that close. It was a last-second shot that made it a little bit closer. So, oh, yeah, you, so what was your guys' turnaround? When did this series go south for Utah? And I say south, and we're only, I mean, we're still into a game seven, but when did it go south for Utah that we were out of game seven? What changed all of a sudden? What was the biggest factor? I think as I'm looking at this, I think it's how Denver is executing the pick and roll and how they're defending the pick and roll. Um, I think that uh, before Jokic was very much involved in that action and he would roll out and, and Rudy would do some switches and Jokic was very much a part of their offense and what they were trying to do. I think that is switched and it's been all on Jamal Murray now. Yeah. And Jokic is just kind of a passive... I'll get what I can whenever Murray doesn't do something, and he's still doing a good job. But the the offense has fundamentally shifted from being all about Jokic as facilitator yeah. to Murray, and I think that has really disrupted Utah defensively. Not to mention Murray obviously went from not necessarily pass first, it's probably more fifty fifty, but he clearly is, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot, and I'm going to shoot, and I'm going to shoot, and he keeps making it. That's the amazing thing is like it's one thing to be able to shoot like that. I mean, well, it's one thing because Jordan Clarkson shoots every time he touches the ball. Yes. I mean, it is gone, and you know you're supposed to go over to get the board. Jamal Murray shooting it a lot, but with a lot of consistency, yeah. too. I mean, when it's going, when it's out of his hands, as Jazz fans, we're like our hands are on top of our head or in our face, or we close our eyes because we just know one thing's coming. It's going in. And that is, he is the most terrifying player right now. On this whole entire court. Not Donovan Mitchell like in games 2, 3, and 4. It is now Jamal Murray's show. It says right here, uh, Jamal Murray 16 of 19 behind the arc in fourth quarters and overtime of the series. Incredible. That's stupid. That's stupid. I mean, how do you allow a guy to do that? But but here's the thing is, I, I think David Locke actually tweeted out this stat. I want to make sure I'm right because I know we're going to peg, um, we're going to peg guys like uh, Royce O'Neal and we're going to peg George Niang for sucking a defense, which... They do, absolutely. But David Locke tweeted out a stat that it does not matter who has guarded Jamal Murray. Royce, on 142 possessions of guarding Jamal Murray, Murray is 29 of 49 for 59% and 12 of 22 from three. When Joe Ingles is guarding Jamal, 52 possessions, 11 of 18, 61% shooting, 6 of 12 from deep. Donovan, 30 possessions, 8 of 13, 62%, 4 of 4 from three. Rudy's 22, 16-31, 52%, 5-9 and nine from 3. And Clarkson, 15 possessions, and he's 4-5, of five, all from deep. So it hasn't mattered. Yeah. It, I mean, he's still, he's still scoring. He's still getting buckets. The thing is, is, and I don't know, AJ, if you can rely on this, but do you kind of go to the fact of, look, make everybody else beat you. Like, Jamal Murray gets his 50. I mean, double Jamal 
Jamal and and triple him if you have to. Make Jeremy Grant knock down consecutive jumpers like he did in Game Six. See if he can do it in consecutive games. That was my question. Do you go to the Damian Lillard defense where the Lakers are like, all right, half court, double team? Because I mean, you got Jokic. Yeah, meet him at the that, line and get it rid of the ball. I think I'd take my chances with Grant and Harris. Still only a second game and. Uh, um, Grant and uh, Porter, and, excuse me, and Porter, Porter yeah, Junior, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I but don't, do you they do were that? so good in Game Six, so that's what worries me. Is Eric brought this up yesterday? Is that look, you can do that, but your side cast as well for Utah's got to be efficient. They got to score buckets too because yeah. they're going to do the same thing to Donovan, like George Yang, Royce O'Neal, Tony Bradley, anybody who else who touches the ball besides Donovan Mitchell has got to score and got to shoot. So it can work if your guys are consistent, but if you guys can't score and their and their cast can, man, you're. I was, saying, I was joking earlier, sort of joking that Mitchell's going to take fifty shots. I think at some point, if the if the cast doesn't make him, he's just going to be like, all right. I'm just going to put yeah, him up. Yeah, screw it. I'm if we're going to go score. down with me, if we're going to go down, yeah, I'm going to no, go down absolutely. getting as many shots up as I can. Yeah, and there's I, which, you know what? which worries me. Yeah, really, actually, to be you? honest, because that's what he did against Houston, and it it backfired. He felt like uh, he couldn't trust anybody else. He had yeah. to do it all on his own. And it was atrocious. But here's the thing, Eric, is if you aren't getting that production that you need from those side guys, what do you do? I mean, you keep throwing. I mean, like I said yesterday, I would rather have Mitchell take a contested three with three guys in his face than George Yang take a wide open three. I mean, that's how, I mean, that's how terrified I am when George Yang touches the ball. Or when Royce touches it because he thinks he's going to travel because he doesn't want to shoot. Same thing with Joe Ingles. Ugh. If you're there's, not, your, there's where you went down when he had that. Uh, tra- that yeah, we don't talk about when it. When he didn't take that shot and then traveled. traveled. Oh my gosh, just shoot the ball. Yeah, no, and, and that's the, and that's the problem though, Eric, is that I, I feel like if you're not going to get the help from the other guys and you're in the situation where it's do or die, maybe late in the third, late in the fourth, I think Donovan's got to be your guy. If close or not, you've got to let Donovan just try to take over and set screens and try to create something for him. I mean, well, everybody's going to collapse on him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he goes so, to the hole, it's going to be on him to if he can't make it happen to find the open guy, and then when the guy is open to take the shot, not be passive, take the shot. How do you think the refs will do this game as well? I mean, that's kind of an important question. I mean, now free throws new- have evened out the last couple of games. They've Ever since Mike even. Malone came out and said his stuff, it's now evened out. Yep. But I mean, in a neutral site game seven, does it change it all the way? I mean, if you go to the hole and you get contact. That they're going to blow that whistle, or are they going to just say, hey, it's game seven, let loose. If we think it's too hard, we'll call it. No, I think they'll be calling it close. They'll keep an eye on it. Um, and I think it's just whomever is the, the more aggressive team, they'll get the calls. Yeah. I think that's one of the areas that Mitchell's had the advantage over Murray. Murray's gotten hot shooting it, but Mitchell's gone to the line a lot more. That could be one of the areas he can make it up. If you can get somebody important in foul trouble, that would be a good thing, at least to start. Well, game six, they got uh, Jokic with a couple of quick fouls in the first quarter, and then yeah. they didn't a- attack him after that. Yeah. So if they could have eliminated him from the game, man, that could have been huge. Yeah, it would have been awesome. And that first quarter, Eric, you brought this up also, I think, the day after the game in our uh, post-game recap, but you said that first quarter came out to be a bugger because we went 3-9 at the line. We had some good looks, didn't finish. Jamal Murray and Jokic was in foul trouble with two fouls already. Uh, and the Nuggets were just out, out of all sorts. They go to break at the end of the first frame, down six. And that's when I think Denver said, we got them. If they can't finish this off right now, we got them. And then they go on like a 12-2 a to two run, and this thing was just gone. Here's a question for you, Eric. What's your rotation like tonight oh, for yes. Quinn Snyder? Ajay and I were talking about that because 
cast hasn't performed. So do you still give him a shot? Or it's Andre and I said minutes or it's like seven or eight guys, but the top six are going to play about forty. I think you go to a short rotation. I don't know if uh, the real question is how's how's Joe Ingles going to play? Right. Mm. You know, is he going to be passive, Joe? Is he going to be aggressive, Joe? Is he going to try to help his team? Is he going to take the shots? I feel like he's done a lot of trash talking. He's Dude, been Joe, very oh, silent. Yeah. He's been very quiet. Yeah. yeah. Normally like he's he's, he's talking trash. He's getting in their heads. Yeah. He's getting them frustrated. Uh, that's that's his shtick. And yeah. he, we haven't seen that. So if Joe finds something today, then I think you can go to a short rotation. Yeah. Uh, if if Joe's still struggling, then you're going to have to play a couple other guys probably. But still, I don't know how much Juan Morgan and, and Tony Bradley play. That's going to be on the guy, the main five to play a lot of minutes. I was going to say, if you're Quinn, do you just tell your starter, and AJ brought this up too, do you tell your starters, look, I need you for 40 to 43 minutes tonight because I'm not going to get it from my bench except for Clarkson. And then everybody else, like, if you need a breather, we'll give you maybe a one- to two-minute breather, but that's it. But I've got to space it out. And I think maybe instead of subbing out Gobert when uh, Jokic goes out, sub when Murray goes out. I know that sounds weird, but I think Gobert being able to pop out on a screen and get a hand in his grill is a bigger deal than Jokic taking a three right now. I just, I, whatever you got to do to slow him down, Murray. Yeah, it's not a bad plan. Sub out Gobert when Murray goes out. Keep him in if if uh, if Jokic goes, or uh, if Murray goes. Yeah, sense. thank you. All right, let's do this. We're going to call a quick timeout here in the full court press. When we come back, let's get into our stat that blew our mind and our player of the week because Ajay's got to run. So we're going to make sure he gets a chance to weigh in on that. So stick around, stay tuned. If you want to weigh in, 435 339 0321 to text into the program. In today's day and age, getting the right information in a timely matter is essential, especially when it's about what's going on in your own neighborhoods in Logan and Hyrule, in North Logan and Smithfield, in Providence and Millville, in Tremonson and Preston. Knowing the truth from trusted sources should be available to everyone in our community, not hidden behind some paywall. Cash Valley Daily is committed to being your link to local news and sports. Know what's going on in your community. Visit CashValleyDaily.com. The Full Court Press, weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric Franson, Ajay Salveson, AJ Knight. Thanks for joining us, whether wherever you may be, on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, or streaming online, 1069thefan.com. And uh, talking about the you know, some of the things over the last week that have stood out to us, we call it the stat that blew our minds and our player of the week, somebody who went above and beyond or really stood out in their play. So, uh, Andre, let's start with you. What's, what's your stat? Oh, wait, sorry. Hang on. Oh, you got to play the. Uh, uh, I've got you know special, <laughs> special stuff for this. Special stuff. Somebody did a lot of work to create this. Hang on. Wish you would give us the rest. Let's take a look at the numbers. It's the stat that blew our minds. He did what? On the full court press. Wow, that blew my mind. 
All right, Ajay, what you got? What's the stat that blew your mind? Okay, think about all the great Heat players that have played for the Miami Heat, right? I mean, you're and you're talking about LeBron James, too, in this list. Jimmy Butler last night or yesterday, phenomenal versus the Milwaukee Bucks. They take a nice 1-0 lead now versus Milwaukee. Jimmy Butler had a uh, 35-point game, and now is the fourth player in Heat history joining LeBron James, who did it nine times, Dwayne Wade, who did it 14 times, and Tim Hardway, who did it one time. Uh, no, excuse me, the third player in Heat history to do a 40-point game, and that joins LeBron and Dwayne. He's the fourth in Heat history to do 35 or better. LeBron, Tim Hardway, and Dwayne Wade. That's incredible. That's a list. And think about the great players like Dan Marley, Alonzo Mourning, um, Glenn Rice. Dude, he's only four? That's incredible. He's in some pretty elite company. Eric and I were talking about uh, Jimmy Butler last week. That I, I, I was my thing. I, as a Bulls fan, love the guy to death. He's one of those players. If he's on your team, love him. If he's not on your team, yeah. hate him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about you, AJ? What's the stat that blew your mind? All right, so obviously if you're a fantasy football player, you saw the news this week that Leonard Fournette got cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars. I went back and looked. Since 2007 to 2017, which is the year Leonard Fournette was taken first, only two, two of those first-round picks from the Jacksonville Jaguars have made it to their second contract with Jacksonville. What? Two. Whoa. <laughs> Tyson Alula and uh, Blake Bortles. Yeah, they all turned out Whoa. to be freaking great values. <laughs> Two. Oh, my gosh. I knew Jacksonville was a mess, but I didn't realize they were that much of a mess. Yep. Oh, shoot. Oh, my word. <laughs> well, uh, fantasy football news, Alvin Kamara is holding out. Yeah, I saw that. And Saints are ready to trade him. Yeah. All right, the stat that blew my mind, uh, Ian Happ, Kyle Schwarber, and Jason Hayward oh, yeah. each hit two home runs. As the Cubs clobbered the the Reds, Reds ten to one. Speaking about a mess of a franchise, that is the first team in Major League Baseball history to have their starting outfielders hit multiple home runs in a single game. First time that's ever I mean, happened. It's a difficult. That's thing, incredible. But it's crazy because Cincinnati's a launching pad. Yeah, it's one of, it's one of the ballparks. <laughs> yeah, dude, they're just. I mean, and you know these pitchers are just throwing batting practice right now. I mean, they just look. We suck. Here it is down the middle. Swing hard. Well, Cincinnati is supposed to be rebuilding, and they're oh, they're rebuilding, all right. <laughs> uh, they're rebuilding. Building a for the Cubs. getting blown over by wind. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, who's the player that stood out to you this past week? You know, PG thirteen was so good. I mean, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's getting grilled by the entire country, every which way, every media Square. outlet possible. Yeah, and he comes up big, and I mean huge in games five and six. To get uh, get rid of Dallas Mavericks, and now because of him, a large part because of him, they're now resting and waiting on Utah and Denver to duke it out for fifteen rounds, seven games, and they're sitting, they're sitting back there at their hotel. PG thirteen had a lot to do with that. Impressed with game five and six from him. Yeah, yeah. As you mentioned, there's a guy who was struggling with some mental health anxiety, and you know? uh, people were dogging on him and didn't realize the whole picture of it, and he was able to turn it around to be really effective for the Clippers. Uh, I went with Ajay's uh, stat that blew his mind. Uh, I told uh, Eric and I talked about this. The trendy upset pick was Miami over Milwaukee in the second round, but Jimmy Butler's historic performance. He was 13 for 20, 12 for 13 from the line, 40 points. He said even after the game, he said, I told my teammates before the game, I'm not passing the ball. I <laughs> said, that's one of the guys on one of my team. I'll go down swinging with Jimmy Butler. <laughs> 
Uh, my player of the week is also in the bubble. Uh, this is Chris Paul. Oh, yeah. I've, I've picked. And what stands out to me is uh, I was looking at his uh, his time with Oklahoma City. In October, he averaged 14.8 points a game. In November, it went up to 16. In December, it went up to 17.7. In January, it went up to 18.3. Are you noticing a trend? In February, it went up to 19.6. In March, it went up to 19.8. In the playoffs, he is averaging 21.7 points a game. Chris Paul defies time and reason. Uh, What he's doing for that franchise, which everybody wrote off as a non-playoff team, is phenomenal. There's a Twitter rumor going around last night, despite the fact that they have uh, uh, over overachieved, that uh, Billy Donovan, I think, is on the last year of his deal, might not come back. Which I can understand because I feel like Chris Paul actually coached this team to the middle of the Western Conference. You know what's crazy is is remember that conversation in two thousand three, um, Devin Williams versus Chris Paul, who's better? And Jazz fans were, you know, about to just nail Bill Simmons to a floor of boards and and let him rot there for the rest of his life because he specifically said Chris Paul in the future is going to be better than Darren Williams and last longer than Darren Williams. I mean, we're in 2020, and the guy's leading this team of rookies into the playoffs, and now they're in Game 7 against Houston Rockets. It's true. That's incredible, and Darren Williams is fishing. He's out of the game. Yeah, he's out of the game. Uh, at the time, it was a debate. You know, Chris Paul oh, had been heated. hurt a little bit. The, the Pelicans, I guess then they were the Hornets, they weren't really that great. No, and Darren was, Darren t- Williams was getting the Jazz in the Western matches. Conference Finals. I mean, yeah. let's, let's also put in perspective, what, until, was it last year? The year before, it was the first time Chris Paul had gotten to the Western Conference Finals. So, he's great. He hadn't been clutch most of the time. But yeah, if you're okay, see true. how pumped are you? Because obviously, you didn't get in the lottery this year, but they were going to trade him anyway. There's no way he stays on the team because they want to rebuild. So, somebody's going to take him now because look what he did. Yeah, the value of him just skyrocketed. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, that's fine. Uh, a lot of, and neither one of us said anything about Donovan Mitchell or Jamal Murray and what yep. they've done in this past week. Which oh, is crazy. Yeah. It's almost become oh, a yeah. routine thing, and it's just can't take it for granted. Hey, before I go, can I make a quick prediction for tonight? Game 7, Nuggets 127-115 over the Utah Jazz. Whoa, RJ. I, just, I just think based on depth, I think based on just momentum right now. Um, and, and the fact that Joe Ingles hasn't hit the, I mean, George Yang shooting a wide open three, hits the side of the backboard. Joe looking at a wide open three, doesn't even shoot it. And Royce is going to travel with it. That's, that's, I mean, that's what your possessions are going to look like. Okay, what did you got? Let's put this on the air for good. Then, what do you got for the over under between uh, Murray and Mitchell's combined? You know, points? I liked what you said before the show. Eighty five and a half. Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm taking that. And I'm taking. Uh, shoot, I'll say under. Over. I'll say under. Over. They're they're gonna lock down some guys tonight. It'll be interesting. But I've got one. I, and you know what? I'm gonna say they lost because you know what? I've said they're gonna win game five and six, and they lost. So they're gonna lose well, game. See, now seven. you let the secret out. Now they're definitely gonna lose. Well, I, I mean, you didn't need to explain it. I, you could have explained it afterwards. And Eric like, gave well, me this you know. look of disappointment. Well, you're a traitor. And I, I don't agree. want the disappointment look from Eric. Okay. RJ, you disappoint me. You now leave. <laughs> the Jazz are going to win tonight. It's going to go to at least one overtime. Hey, save your prediction. It's not until 5 o'clock. I just got to do it because I got to get out of here. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Let me go watch game seven. Have fun. Don't laugh at me. I've uh, never seen him pout harder. <laughs> All right. I just got to go. I hope you have a good show tomorrow with him. If they, I mean, I hope they win, but man, I can't imagine what he's going to be tomorrow if they do not pull it off. 
Uh, <laughs> it be inconsolable. Inconsolable. The, so back to my question about the pressure. So I'm with you. I think the Jazz have the more pressure because they've been up in the series. But I think there's an underlying thing in Denver because if Denver doesn't win the series as a franchise, what do you do? They can't make any big additions. The Jazz have a built, not that it's an excuse, but they have a built an excuse. They didn't have a 20-point-per-game scorer who's a pretty good defender as well. You can run it back next year and be like, look where we got to without our, our third piece. Yeah, that's a great point. I think if you step away from the moment, I think we're I, I'm getting wrapped up in this series itself. But if I think if you step away and examine the season on a whole and where the franchises are, right. I think there is more pressure on Denver. They have consistently underperformed in the playoffs. Yeah. They had to take uh, the the Spurs took them to seven last year. Uh, Portland took them to seven and beat them, and that was unexpected. And that was in Denver, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so this is a team that looks great during the regular season, yep. but underperforms in the postseason. Yep. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Coach Malone if the Jazz win this one. That uh, hey, gosh, you got this exciting Murray. You got this Jokic who. At times of the season, people are saying he's an MVP candidate. Yeah, oh, how come you can't finish a, a lower seed, a six seed? You guys had the advantage here. Why you supposedly had the better team? Yeah, why couldn't you take care of business? And they consistently underperform in the postseason. Not to mention, I think this summer Murray's up for the supermax. So all of a sudden, the cap room is going to be really interesting too. When you have a team that's so loaded because they've done such a good job drafting, the Jazz will still have. Like what a year to play with with Mitchell yep. before they got to obviously pay him, but uh, yeah, that's why I think I think you're right in this in the vacuum. The pressure's on the Jazz because you've been up three one. This is now your third chance to close it. But man, if the Denver Nuggets don't, I, what do you do? Like you because you do you make the argument you just run it back again because I don't know. Like it's like you said, they've been here. Everyone keeps expecting them to take that step forward because they're a young team with a lot of depth. But ugh. and could. Well, could the tonight's outcome determine whether, you know, what that future looks like for Coach Malone? You yeah. Know, if if they win, okay, maybe that's one thing, and he buys himself some time. If they lose, but if it's in a close game, maybe it's not that big a deal. But if they lose, like they lost in games two or three, man, that looks really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It may be. I mean, the AJ had all those stats about the Jazz haven't lost Game Seven. Denver hasn't done well in Game Sevens. This this feels like a game. I'm with him. It doesn't feel like it has as much anticipation like as a normal Game 7 would because it's in the bubble, but it feels like a game that will determine the courses of these franchises over the next few years because Donovan Mitchell and Murray have gone bonkers, so where do they take their teams? The winner of this series, I think, will kind of dictate the pace for the next couple of years because I think there's, I think it's overblown sometimes, those like cursed franchises, but I think there's hangovers that happen. There's that pressure of, oh, we never won, that you have to shake off. Like, I mean, I think yeah. the Cleveland Browns experienced that. Even with one of the more <laughs> talented rosters, they still have yeah, to kind of true. shake off that losing culture. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, they they made a lot of moves to uh, improve their roster. and uh, looked like they brought in some serious stars besides some really good young talent. Yeah. Yet still, it's you know that's what they struggle with. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think if you step away big picture, I think there should be more pressure on Denver. But... In the bubble, in the moment, for me, it feels like there's maybe a little more pressure on Utah. To I think so. Out. I think so. I saw the the clip of Mitchell after Game Six, and don't get me wrong, I love that, but you, I just hope it doesn't affect the way he plays. He played very well. I hope he doesn't. As much as I joke about him taking fifty shots, you don't want him to like just zero his sights in on the basket, right? Still want to try and play 
a complete game until maybe it find some point it's break the glass and just shoot every time. Right. I think earlier in this series, uh, in game one, he had what? What was it? 57? Is that how much he had? Oh, geez. Yeah, it was in the, it was in the 50s. It was in the 50s. Um, but then there was a, another game that they won. I think it was game two. He had only 30 points, but he had a lot more assists. Yeah. He had some rebounds. He had a more complete game. And we, I remember talking about it. Would you rather have a game one Donovan or this game two Donovan? And I'd much rather have the game two Donovan, where he can score, but he's also helping the rest of his team and elevate everybody else around. Well, I think was it after game two he was quoted as saying, "I'd rather have seven assists than fifty points, as long as we get the win." Yeah, something, something like to that. that yeah. Yep. So I don't know. You guys hit on it. I, I, I I'm glad you guys brought up Joe Ingles because that's one of my favorite. I love trash talk. It's awesome. <laughs> and may, maybe it's just the downside. I mean, if they get the Clippers, if they pull this off and get the Clippers, obviously, in the next round, I think he'll go back to normal because he loves Paul Paul George. He <laughs> oh, loves yes. talking to Paul George. Uh, that's a matchup we will all be eager to watch. <laughs> That'll be so fun. Uh, let's do this. We're going to call another timeout here on the Full Court Press. When we come back, let's hear from Joe. Okay. Uh, he was available to the media, sat down with him for about seven and a half minutes. We'll hear what he has to say about where he's at and what he feels about this Game 7 coming up later on tonight. Reminder, we'll have pregame coverage. Full game will be here on the fan. So pregame starts at 6.20, tip-off at 6.30, and you can listen to it in its entirety here with David Locke calling all the play-by-play here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. A quick step aside, when we come back, we'll hear from Joe Ingles. It doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric France and AJ Knight, Utah Jazz taking on the Denver Nuggets tonight. Game 7. Pre-game at 6.20, tip-off at 6.30, right here on The Fan. Somebody who normally is a really important part of the Jazz in the playoffs, who has been struggling. Frankly, he's been struggling in the bubble. I think he uh, it's pretty illustrative that he is missing not being home with his yeah. family, not having uh, an escape from basketball. In fact, he was interviewed, um, well, I think it was between game six or seven, or was it five? While they were in the bubble, he had been really struggling early on, and then he had this big game, and everybody talked to him, and uh, he had a conversation with his. Talked about how he had this conversation with his wife about uh, stepping away from basketball, find something to distract you when you're yeah. not doing things, watch movies, whatever. Um, and then he started playing better, but it's kind of caught up to him again that he doesn't seem to be that same level. Uh, That's be tough. The Jazz really need him. To uh, to pull this uh, series win off, but don't know. It's kind of hard to see what's what's going on with Joe. So let's hear from him in his own words what he thinks about this game seven and where he's at with the Utah Jazz. Joe, what have you seen in a difference from Denver's defense over the last couple of games? Um, uh, I, I don't even know. Really. Obviously, I mean, the, the, I can go into a whole playbook if you want, but um, I think as you know, in a playoff series like any series, um, even a series in the regular season when you play a team a certain amount of times, you, you find things against players or teams that, that work and don't work. And um, I think every team, obviously, in the playoffs is going through that as well. So you 
you, you find something that um, you want to attack and, and they make an adjustment and um, that's what they've done. That's, that's obviously what we've done and, and we'll continue to do um, tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I think that's just, a, it's, it's a big part of, of the playoffs is, is the details um, that you go into a game with and then obviously adjusting on the fly in a game and, and the next day, um, like we we will and, and I'm sure they will with, with some things as well. Next, we'll go uh, Cassie Hubbard, ESPN, and she's there with you. Thanks for that, Danny. <laughs> so, Donovan has been growing into his leadership role, and especially these these playoffs. But from what you've noticed as you guys have been going through adversity, how much are you and the other veterans, um, you know, helping during this time to lead by committee? Yeah, I think um, our team, I mean, since I've been here for six years or whatever it's been, um, We've all taken responsibility at different times. Um, we, we've got a an unbelievable group that that takes criticism, can can give it out, can, and we all we all speak on that. So, so as, as much as we know Donovan and Rudy are the, our our main guys, the, the the leaders of our team, um, Donovan's asked us just as many questions as as, as we ask him as well. Um, and, and same with Rudy and, and all that guys. Mike's been in the league for. 30 years like he's we've got guys that have have experience and um donovan's great at, at kind of sapping it all out he, he asks questions he watches film he's um i would say probably a little bit obsessive with it but it's it's how he likes to learn um and obviously it's it's working for him so um yeah i think as a as a team we all take responsibility to, to be leaders at different times. I think we all see the game a little bit differently at times and um, anything we can help, no one ever takes it personally. It's not trying to have a stab at someone. You, you, you're obviously trying to win a game or, or, or make that person better. Um, so I think we've we've always, especially in my time here, we've, we've had that. Just a quick follow-up. On that note, this is a game seven. Yep. So how, how have you guys in the approached it as a team what what's been the conversations that you might have been having heading into this yeah obviously we we've i mean preparation has been very similar um we watch film we we learn from it um like i said there's things that we will do differently i'm sure there's things that we'll do differently um i don't know how many of us have played a game seven me and rudy and i'm sure mike's been in one in his however long but there's only a few of us that have actually played in one i think so um I wouldn't say to them to do anything different. Uh, I think Donovan and, and these guys are mature enough and have played enough basketball. Um, it's obviously different. We're not going to Denver to play game seven. We're playing in front of you guys. It's just like eight people or whatever it is. So um, for us, it's been the same approach. Uh, we, we've done the same thing every game. We've watched film. We've we've learned from it. We've, we've changed something every game. So um, obviously, we, we need to... To, to change some things and do it, do it and leave it all out there because it's obviously if we lose we're flying home tomorrow. Oh, whatever day it is, not tomorrow. I hope not tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway. All right, next we'll go to Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Joe. I know uh, we've asked you about this a few times during the series, but um, what at this point, if anything, have you have you figured out about you know being able to slow down Jamal Murray at all? Uh, we figured out he's pretty good. Um, I think we knew it was good, but when you see someone, I don't know how many times, I think we played him three or four times in the regular season before this as well. Um, 
so when you see someone that often and then and obviously now we every second day and then I'll probably bump into him down the hallway here anyway um, yeah I mean he's, he's he's playing at a high level we've um, we've thrown different looks at him um, and and we'll continue to do that and um, like I said just before it's it's kind of the last one now it's, it's game seven we, we need to leave it all out there um, do what we have to do to, to win the game and, and obviously he's a a big part of that, what he's done um, for, for this series. Yeah. We have one more time for one more question from Dan Wojcik, LA Times. This will be good. Hello, Joe. Good to see you. you look, your beard looks terrific, by the way. I was just looking at it. I didn't realize it was so long. I'm going to have to trim it. Renee will get really mad at me. You look sharp. Um, you met Jamal's obviously had these offensive explosions. Donovan's had him. Damian Lillard's had him. Luka Doncic has had him. Um, is there something to, other than those guys just all being super good, is there something to sort of bubble basketball that lends itself to offense? And is it um, is it harder to play defense and really dig in when there's no crowd and no energy from anybody else? Absolutely not. That was George Gang. No one cares what he has to say. Um, okay, bro, we just asked, what did you ask again? Oh, about the bubble experience. Um, I actually, we, coming into it, we were we were talking a little bit about the kind of the flip side of that. I guess the guys that are, uh, are labelled as kind of non shoot the the pressure's all taken away from that point of view. Um, everyone knows that's been in an NBA arena. If you're a, if they leave you open and you you miss it, the crowd you can hear them. <laughs> or if you're a good shooter and you miss three or four in a row, they they, they make a, a murmur around the arena. And um, obviously that's gone. Like the media isn't talking SHIT to us in the crowd or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I think a part, uh, the main part is that they're just really good players, um, all, all those guys you mentioned. Um, and and uh, there's a lot of guys playing really well. Um, I, I mean, uh, I personally don't think the crowd being there or not being there has much or anything to do with it. I think they're, they're really good players and they're, in the playoffs and had a double all-star break. So they're probably a bit more refreshed. And um, yeah, I, I honestly coming in, I thought the other side, I, I was only thinking about, um, I mean, everyone knows a non-shooter or whatever, and you leave them open and they catch and they're a bit hesitant if they're at home and the crowd starts making noises about shooting or whatever. And uh, I think guys can overthink that. It's like I said, if you, if you open here and you don't shoot it, you don't hear, Cassidy yelling, yelling something out to you in the middle of the crowd. It's, it's very, it's kind of different. So, um, yeah, bubble's been great. So there's Joe Ingles. Uh, no question specifically about his play personally. Right. I think it's interesting he touched on the bubble because as you and AJ, I think, have hit on a lot. You talk about, and it, I think statistically it's been proven over and over again that uh, role players – play better at home than away because of the crowds. But I think it was interesting to hear him talk about the passing up an open shot and uh, the the way the home crowd would make you be more aggressive because you feel you're feeling it, I think is a is a point that is not hit on as much. And I wonder he I feel like he's talking about him, himself a little bit there as well. I wanted to say before we got this you were talking about the family thing. They noticed in the uh, first round after the the round uh, the round robin and the early knockout run in the hockey uh, bubble, 
that uh, early on the younger teams seemed to be playing a lot better than the older teams, and they there's nothing obviously behind it that they could prove, but the, there was a lot of theories that it had to do with the fact that they were much more galvanized in the bubble because they didn't have wives, they didn't have kids, so there was less that they were distracted by outside of it. And so I wonder, it's interesting to hear you talk about Joe Ingles because they were that was a theory that they would speculate on broadcast for hockey games. Mm. Well, yeah, it's uh, Joe just doesn't seem to be the same type of player in these playoffs. Yeah, uh, he's not. He has struggled a little bit in the bubble. Uh, he had a couple of games uh, at the end of the reset where he looked really good. It's like okay, that's Joe Ingles. Yeah, he had a game in this series where he was really helpful. Or he had a double-digit scoring. Right. But by and large, he's scoring five points, six points. And normally it's a guy that Jazz usually try to get 12 to 15, sometimes 18 out of him. Yeah. I wonder, and the other thing is, too, because the, the adjustment, obviously, you had the reset game. So uh, as a Jazz fan, and I'm sure you and Audrey talked about a lot, obviously Mike Conley for a lot of the season struggled. So you had Mitchell, you had Bogdanovic, and then – you know, Conley was supposed to be option three. Ingles has been there. And so I wonder if it's just the attention and just adjusting to that because you're off for six months. Obviously, Bogdanovich doesn't make the trip. Conley initially in the bubble wasn't playing as well. And then Conley came on. And so, like, the adjustment of who's playing, because I wonder if it, I, I feel like at a certain point it was like Mitchell won, maybe Ingles two, while we see if we can get Conley going. And then Conley started to figure it out after the birth of his kid. And, I wonder if it's part of that, going back to a, a role that he wasn't necessarily playing for the entire season and then six months off. Yeah, that's a possibility too. Uh, and I think what will be really interesting to see is if the lineup changes tonight. Because yeah. the rotations really haven't changed a whole lot for Utah. Denver has tweaked their lineup, and it's worked for them. Yeah, Utah hasn't really made that adjustment, anything dramatic. So will tonight be something different? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Quinn can afford to. Uh, if he just sit, tightens up his rotation with who yeah. he has and go with them. Yeah. That's the that's the scary thing about this series, getting a seven, is even though it's only Harris's, Gary Harris's second game back in X amount of months, you know, the, the, it looked like you were going to get out of the series before he became a factor. It just lets them have more depth, which I think they already had an advantage over Utah to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Here's a healthier body who seems super excited to have him back. Yeah. And he had some lift and some excitement for him. A uh, quick timeout, some additional thoughts before we get ready for next hour with Dan Clayton with Salt City Hoops who will join us to preview Game 7 between the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and AJ Knight, uh, besides what's going on in the NBA, there's a lot that was going on in Major League Baseball yesterday. A lot of trades that took yeah. place. It was a very busy afternoon before yeah, the trade was. deadline. Uh, some teams, I think they got better. Other teams decided not to do anything. And surprisingly, it was like the big market teams who normally have the money and the resources to pull deals uh, stood Sit on the sidelines. Dodgers didn't do anything. Yankees didn't do anything. 
the I know the Yankees been beat up. The Dodgers to me surprises me. I know they're the best team in baseball right now, but if, I think it was the same thing. I think it was last year. Everyone was talking about they need relief help. They need relief help. Then they didn't do it. And the Dodgers have the farm system to do it. And then they didn't win a World Series. They didn't even get there. And so to me, it's just uh, how many times do you have to not win the World Series before you're finally like, all right, everything against the wall. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna do it. It's time to do something yeah. drastically different. Uh, some uh, some teams that I thought did really well. A lot of news with the the Padres and yeah. some of the moves that they made. They traded for everybody. Uh, in fact, uh, Clevenger was the, the biggest acquisition. The pitcher, uh, he basically in his uh, press co- introductory press conference said, "San Diego's the place to be." And these guys are having fun. Yeah, they're bombing it out of the park. Yeah, and uh, this is this is the place to be. He was super excited to be there. How confident are you as a Cubs fan? They made a couple moves yesterday. Uh, I think they addressed some issues that have needed help. For sure. Um, is it going to be a, a, a strong enough fix that I don't know? But, I mean, getting a, a strong uh, a DH now, uh, somebody who's another big bat they can throw in there, I think helps provide some offense for them. And I think that also helps uh, some of the other moves that they, did, that they made. It's going to help them with their rotations on the on the pitching mound. So yeah, they definitely needed some uh, bullpen help. On the other side, I'm surprised the White Sox didn't do anything. They're finally back to being good. A lot of people pegged them as a big trader uh, yesterday to kind of take advantage, try and keep the AL Central lead, and they didn't do anything. No, I, I think the idea there, I'm guessing, is that look what they've done so far this year. I mean, yeah. they're hitting the ball out of the park more yeah. than anybody. Uh, they're they're kind of ahead of schedule on their rebuild, so they're just. They feel like, hey, we're sticking with our guys. If it ain't broke, don't don't fix it's it. There. Uh, but busy day throughout Major League Baseball. Some teams did really well. Others didn't. The Athletics made some good moves. Uh, the Blue Jays made some good moves as well. I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about the Blue Jays Yeah, since they're in uh, Buffalo this season. But uh, we'll see. Coming up next hour, more Utah Patrick, Jazz. This is Above the Noise. There have been many unexpected sports headlines this year, but this is one of the stranger ones. The San Diego Padres are all in. How often have we ever heard that? The Padres added starter Mike Clevenger, reliever Trevor Rosenthal, and a few extra bats. Padres haven't been to the postseason since 2006. They've been to the World Series twice, but they're still pretty far away from a title. They lost 4-1 to the Tigers in 1984, and they were swept by the Yankees in 1998. But none of that history matters in 2020. In a shortened season with strange rules and a wide-open field, 16 teams are going to make the playoffs. In baseball, once you get in, all bets are off. It might feel weird saying the Padres are contenders, but with young stars like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado, this might not be a fluke. If you were considering jumping on the Padres' bandwagon before the trade deadline, you might have missed your window because it's getting a little more crowded every day. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.